The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to episode number 60 of Talking Mopars and another episode of Listener Stories. You know, this past week was a holiday week. It was Thanksgiving, and it was super hectic for me. I had to work on Saturday to make up for my day off on Thursday, so I didn't have time to sit down and record a traditional podcast that we do here. But what I did do is I had Johnny Mopar join me. He was my accomplice in the first ever live stream of the podcast. On Saturday night at 9 o'clock, we went live on Facebook for Talking Mopar's Direct Connections Live, and we actually had a bunch of our friends join us. It was a great time, and if you want to find out who joined us on the show, go watch the video. You can find it on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page. It was a good time. Anytime you get together with friends that are also Mopar enthusiasts, you generally have a good time. It was one of those situations where you just sit around and you just shoot the breeze. You know what I mean? I had a great time. I can't wait to do it again, and it's the first of many to come. But we're here right now for listener stories. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I'm your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter. And this is Talking Mopars Listener Stories. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. It's time once again for listener stories. Our first story comes to us from a gentleman named Peter. Here is Peter's story. Hi, Chris. I'm glad I found your podcast. I find it enjoyable to listen to, and I'm learning a lot about the history of Mopars. I know a little, but the extra facts you have about Mopars are so helpful. My grandfather worked for Chrysler and used to be in charge of the Chrysler-owned dealerships in parts of Michigan. You can say that we always had Mopars in the family. One of the first cars I bought with my own money was a 2006 Dodge Charger Daytona RT in Tor Red Red. It's 865 of 2000 made. I stored it in my friend's big garage over the winter. In the spring, when it was time to wake it up, I noticed another car stored on the other side of the garage. I just lifted the cover a little to see what it was. It was a 1969 Dodge Super B. I asked my friend about it, and he didn't know much himself. He did tell the owner I was asking about it, and the next thing I know, the guy said he was going to sell it. By then, my dad and I had done some research on Super Bs. We wanted the car. He unfortunately was sick and had two boys. He didn't want them fighting over the car. I check with my friend at times and know the past owner is still alive and doing well, so that's good. This B was a 383 car. He told us the 383 was blown when he bought it, so he put a 444 barrel in the car. The car has a 727 automatic transmission and manual drum brakes all around. He wanted $16,000 for the car. I went and got a loan and made it happen. I didn't drive it much that summer as the heater core had an issue and the windows always got fogged up. During my research, I found in 69, the B didn't have a four barrel with the 440 option. I figured since I had a 440, I would make an A12 clone slash tribute car. It would be my first rebuild with the engine fully apart. I have learned a ton from talking with experts and research. I refinanced my 06 charger to pay for the engine and bodywork. Due to some rust on the block, the shop had to bore it out 80 over. So now it's a 452 six-pack car with a roller cam, rockers, and lifters. I added electric fans and MSD ignition. The build took all that loan and a little more. As any extra money comes up, I'm working on upgrades as I can. Mostly now trying to get those three carbs dialed in. 
It was about an eight-year project for me to get it on the road again. It is called a show car a lot, but I drive it as much as I can. Almost feel show car is a negative term with how some people say it. I didn't spend all that money to take it out a few weekends a year. Yes, it's nice looking, and I'll do my best to keep it that way. I'm not afraid of putting miles on it, though. My son loves riding with me and going to shows. Tells me he's going to have a shop and build cars one day. I had attached some photos of when I bought it and what it is today. Thanks for letting me share my story and for sharing stories with me on your podcast. Thanks, Peter. Hey, Peter, thanks for sharing your story. I know that myself and thousands of other Mopar enthusiasts are listening to this podcast and we're going $16,000 for a Super V that's in reasonable good condition. <laughs> you got a bargain, buddy. I wouldn't have hesitated either. I would have went to the bank myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would have I would have sold a, a toe <laughs> or a, a, a finger for that for that car. But awesome car. It sounds like, you know, you've got a great project on your hands. And I don't think anybody's going to be mad about, you know, making some subtle modifications to a 69 Super V. At least I'm not. I think it's a great build. It sounds like an awesome car. The pictures look great. I can't believe that the car was in that good a condition when you got it, to be honest with you. I think you got a steal of a deal, and, you know, you should be happy about that. Your son loves riding in the car. That's awesome. I love that he has ambitions of getting into the automotive industry. I think that's great. And you've heard me say it before on this podcast. I love it when I hear stories about children getting involved, you know, with the family car. <laughs> you know, I like that. I like that fathers and mothers get their sons and daughters involved in building cars. I think it's a great way to connect with them and to get that quality time. So good on you, Peter. And I thought the picture was awesome with your son holding the trophy. I thought that was really cool. So, you know, tell little man I said hi and no Mopar left behind. That was Peter's story. This next story is from Cody Turner. Here is Cody's story. Hello, sir. I just recently stumbled upon your podcast. I myself am a Mopar nut. I have a 67 Dodge Charger that I'm bringing back from the dead. I bought this a very long time ago from my uncle's best friend, who happened to be the original owner. He bought it brand new from Selma, California Dodge back in early 67. He had been driving it up until 1984 until it didn't start one day, and he just parked it in his barn, and it sat there for over 35 years. I asked if he'd sell it to me, and he flat out laughed in my face. So I saved up $3,000 and went back a year later and asked again if he'd sell it. He took $1,500 for it, and my dream was made reality. But it gets weird. My wife's father was married to the first owner's sister in a previous marriage, and he had driven that car multiple times in the past, and he thought that they had gotten rid of the car when I've had it this entire time. I appreciate your work, and thanks for being a Mopar nut. Hey Cody, thanks for sharing your story with us. A true story of a barn find. A real barn find. A car that was found in a barn. Imagine that. That's awesome, man. I'm happy to hear that after he laughed in your face, you were still able to buy the car. That's awesome. It's crazy that weird connection that your family has with the car, so... That's really cool, man. I'm glad that you have yourself a project car, your dream car. That's awesome. I'm really happy for you. Keep me updated on the project. I think that barn finds are cool, and I don't mind that you called it a barn find, because guess what? You found it in a barn. So that makes your car a real barn find 67 Dodge Charger. That's cool that you can say that and be truthful about it, because a lot of people say they got barn finds, and in reality, they're not barn finds. But, you know, that's... That's all subjective to somebody's opinion, and my opinion is if it's not found in a barn, then you can't call it a barn find. It's debatable, but hey, you have yourself a real barn find. Congratulations. Oh, and by the way, I appreciate this sign of respect, but please don't call me sir. You can call me Chris, buddy. All right? For future reference, the next time you send in a story, just call me Chris. Thanks for sending your story. This next listener's story was sent to us from Pat, and here is Pat's story. 
Hi, Chris. I recently stumbled upon your podcast, and I love the information I get from listening to it. Currently catching up on the episodes, currently on episode 28 when you had Johnny Mopar on. I was drooling over the classic Chargers he owns. Anyway, wanted to share my story on how I became a Mopar guy. I am Filipino, born in New York, 89, grew up in the Philippines, relocated back to California six years ago. I was never into cars before. Started to learn driving, age 23. No need back then to learn because we had public transportation back home. Then I learned, relocated, started working, and owned my first ever car, a 2001 Honda Accord. Humble beginnings. When I first got into cars, I was wanting a souped-up Civic. Then my taste grew into domestics. First a Camaro, LOL. Then I dreamt of owning a Shelby 500, LOL. This was brought about by the movie Need for Speed, where the protagonist made a modified GT500, later crashing it and then driving a red Koenigsegg. However, I wanted a performance car that could haul passengers, not a two-door where you had to roll back the front seats to get in the back. I rode in a Beetle before and I hated sitting in the back. Then came the movie John Wick. He owned a 69 Mustang 302 Boss blah blah and later on got a black Charger RT. Damn, that car looks sexy. Muscle car with four doors. I was hooked. A couple months later, I got into my first Mopar, a 2014 Charger SE. Then these questions came. Why didn't you get the V8? I was like, WTF. Later on, I got my first V8, a 2016 Charger RT. Then I became a prodigal son, traded in for a 2014 Maserati Gilby base. Very, very wrong decision. After nine months of ownership and driving it for 10,000 miles, metal chunks in the oil after my third oil change. I was crushed. Then finally, I saw this beautiful 2020 Dodge Charger Scat Pack widebody brand new. Took the Maserati in on its last legs probably, but not showing any symptoms yet, then traded it in. I'm upside down on the loan, but damn it, I got back into a true Mopar. Although I guess FCA had a hand in making the Gilby, so I guess I never left the Mopar family. Currently have the car for three months, put 2,300 miles on it. Straight piped all the way, cold air intake, and making memories. Still want to do plenty to the car, but of course family comes first. But I would have to say the greatest mods I've done to all my cars are kids' car seats. Sharing the experience and joy of driving my cars with my three-year-old son and six-month-old daughter whenever I can get a chance. Hope I hear this story one day in your podcast. Thanks. Hey, Pat, thanks for sharing your story with us. It's always good to hear about humble beginnings leading you to a really cool car in the end. And hey, those humble beginnings led you to a 2020 Dodge Charger Scat Pack Widebody. So you should be happy about that. I'm glad you're a Mopar enthusiast now and that you also include your children in your enthusiasm and in your passion for cars. I think that's awesome. I too am excited to share my enthusiasm and my passion for cars with my daughter. I'm going to do everything in my power to influence her to love Mopars. So I love hearing stories about parents sharing their love of Mopars with their kids, as I've said before in the past. So good on you, buddy. Thanks for sending in your story. This next listener story comes to us from Steve in Modesto, California. Here is Steve's story. Hi, Chris. My story, or perhaps obsession, began in the late 90s sometime around my senior year in high school. I have a good friend that was given a 1970 Dodge Coronet convertible RT clone by a close family member. With a big block 440 and finished in panther pink, I was sold on the greatness that is Mopar muscle. I then began the hunt for my own project. Within a year, I was able to find my first Mopar a 1969 Dodge Charger with a 318 and an automatic transmission. Definitely a project-level car, thrashed interior, thrashed exterior, but complete. Much to my parents' disapproval, I traded my current car, a fully running and driving 1964 Ford Galaxy 500, to the Charger's owner straight across. I then started buying up parts as much as my $10 an hour construction job could afford. Living at home with my parents helped, and I was able to acquire a 440 of my own and get it to about 90% finished. I wanted a beast of an engine, so I went with a Mopar Performance 590 solid lifter cam, Keith Black pistons, and a forged crank. 
Sadly, I never had the charger on the road and eventually ended up selling the body to a friend for a steal, $1,200, when I was out of work and had bills to pay. I still want to kick myself for ever letting it go, but find that now later in life, I'm in a much better place. I now have a small herd of Mopars in the stable at home. My primary fun car, a plum crazy 1973 Dodge Challenger, sports a big block 440, aluminum heads, and currently topped off with the atomic EFI system. We also have a 1969 Dodge D100 swept line and a 2019 Dodge Durango RT. We are definitely a Mopar household nowadays. I still have the 440 from my teenage years and have been contemplating dropping it into my Swepty, but we will see where the future takes us. In my spare time, I still enjoy wrenching on the old cars and finding more local enthusiasts here in my hometown. I run a little Instagram account, at Mopars of Modesto, where I catalog any of the cool, unique Mopars I find around my city of Modesto, California. Being the birthplace of American graffiti, you can only imagine the vastness of classics to find. Feel free to check us out and keep putting out great shows. Thanks. Steve in Modesto, California. Hey, Steve, thanks for sending in your story. Man, the ones that get away. Am I right? You know what I mean? It's always the ones that get away that leave that hole in our hearts. But I'm happy to hear that you now have a small herd of Mopars to hopefully make up for the one that you lost so long ago. You know, 1200 bucks for a charger. <laughs> Good luck finding that these days. It's hard to find any reasonably priced chargers, you know, unless your name is Johnny Mopar. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think it's cool that you still have that 440 from your charger and that you're contemplating putting in your D100. I think that's great. I think you should do it. A big block D100 is always cool in my book. And Steve, I do enjoy your Instagram account. So anybody out there that listens to this show and is on Instagram, go find at Mopars of Modesto and give Steve a follow. All right. Thanks, Steve, for sending in your story. Our next listener story comes to us from down under our buddy Ross from Australia. Here is Ross's story. Hey, Chris, I sent you a Craigslist Tucson posting of a 73 Dodge Dart four-door. Think they're called a Dodge Custom, listed for 6000 Man, offer the dude five and happy days, I reckon. Can you please explain to your listeners, particularly the overseas folk, why four-door Mopars are worth sweet F.A.? Over here, Australia, if I wanted to buy an early 70s four-door Valiant all tricked up with the goodies like intake, carby rims, and dual exhaust and headers all done, etc., you can expect to pay between twenty to 30000 U.S. dollars, and that's likely for a slant six. And over at ClassicCars.com, there's a 70, I think, four-door Chrysler Newport in Michigan with a 440 and an almost perfect body for 4000 Blows my mind. So much so I try to contact them to make an offer, but no response, which is unusual. Guessing the Aussie on the scary internet might be a scam. LOL. Bizarre is selling to an Aus buyer is the perfect COVID-29 transaction. Oh well, my missus would have had an absolute fit if I had of anyway. But my defense was that the Newport cost less than my 318 currently being rebuilt. Not sure if it would have won the debate reminding her of this impending debt. Although in my head, it all makes perfect sense. I'm sure you know exactly what I mean. That's the addiction convincing us. Go on. Risk your marriage. LOL. Have enjoyed the interviews the past few weeks? Good shit, mate. The McMurrays really know their shit. How can you not be learning something, people? Take care, man. Ross. Mofo from UFO. Hey, Ross. Thanks for the message. You know, I agree with you completely with the four doors. It's crazy that more people aren't, you know, snatching them up these days. A lot of them, like, we were talking about it on the live stream the other night, and Blake from DIY Hemi actually brought up four doors because he had seen a 70B body um, recently. And Johnny Mopar was saying that back in the day, you know, they ended up being parts cars because nobody cared about sedans. But 
I think these days, you know, people are sleeping on the sedans because I think that they're going to hit really hard here soon because people are getting sick of all these crazy prices for project cars. And there's a lot of people out there that would drive the hell out of a cool Mopar sedan that was like hot rotted. You know what I mean? So I think that's going to hit next. And I really think that it's going to be hard to find a four-door B-body, especially the 68 through 70s, for reasonable prices here pretty soon. So if you find one of those, snatch it up. And the older ones are probably going to still be a little bit plentiful. And the ones post-70 are still going to be a little bit plentiful, I think. But 68 through 70, those are going to be hot. And I actually ran across a 69 Coronet sedan um, months ago. It might have even been last year that was for two grand, and I thought it would have been a perfect car um, to hot rod. It was actually, uh, I believe, if I remember right, it was F8 green with a blue interior. It was super weird color combination, but um, I wanted it. It was complete, and it looked like it could be a fun car when hot rodded. So my prediction is that Mopar sedans are going to, slowly rise in value but definitely get more popular so i totally understand what you mean by being frustrated that these cars are cheap over here where in other parts of the world it's so expensive to get these cars especially when you consider shipping costs to go from the united states to anywhere else in the world and, you know australia um, europe anything like that but i understand your frustration buddy so if you're out there listening to this podcast and you're going, gosh, I really want a project car. I really want a project Mopar, but I just can't spend $25,000 on a rust bucket charger. You know, maybe go find yourself a Coronet four-door sedan and just hot rod the hell out of it. And hey, you know, if you do run across that cheap B-body, you know what I mean? That two-door that you want, that charger, that Coronet, you know, two-door hard top or something like that, you know, or the Roadrunner, at least you have an engine and maybe some extra parts that'll change over. So I would encourage everybody listening to this show not to turn their nose up at those four-door sedans that, you know, generally aren't as highly desirable as the two-doors, but still make great hot rods, you know, and you can still get them for reasonably cheap. I mean, imagine being an Australian spending twenty to $30,000 on something like that. That's insane. So I think it's time that, you know, the people here in North America need to be thankful that we still have cars that are reasonably cheap because the guys on the other side of the pond, you know, they don't get these cars for that cheap over there. You know what I mean? So I guess, I guess it, this is a perfect message for Thanksgiving because I'm thankful <laughs> that I still have access to these cheap Mopars. So Ross, thanks a lot for opening our eyes. <laughs> and for those of you out there wondering what sweet FA is, it's sweet gall. I absolutely enjoy all the listener stories I get to read on this show, but there's something especially funny about the Australian guys. You guys have a great sense of humor. Thank you for that, Ross. And, you know, I'll keep my eyes peeled for a really cheap four-door for you. All right, buddy? Thanks for sending in your message. Our next listener story is, again... From outside of our U.S. shores, this message is from Richard, and he's from Switzerland. Here is Richard's story. Hi, Chris. Sorry for my bad English. My name is Richard, and I'm from Switzerland. First of all, I am no Mopar enthusiast. Yes, you got it right. Although two of my project cars are Mopars, I'm no Mopar enthusiast. I'm looking at myself as more of a history preserver. 
But first things first. So it's 1981, and I'm 18 years old, which is the age in our country to get your driver's license. I'm absolutely into driving, and my dad gets that, and he is aware that I'm already into American cars and not really into BMW and Mercedes and all the other common cars in our country. So he decided to get me for my 18th birthday an American car, which was a 1979 Oldsmobile Starfire 231 cubic inch 3.8 liter V6. So I didn't have my driver's license yet, but you can imagine I wanted to drive this car because, hey, I have an American car sitting in my garage, which I wanted to show everybody and drive it into the sunset on a long street. It was then when I committed the stupidest thing in my life, which at the time seemed right. I drove it. I got pulled over by the police without a driver's license and no plates. Well, long story short, I was forbidden for a long time to get my driver's license. I'll never forget how it was to drive this car into the sunset on this long street, which is exactly what I did before I got pulled over. It was then when I realized that I wanted to preserve history and sometime later get a V8 project car and bring it back to life and drive it into the sunset. Now, almost 30 years later, I have my driver's license and I also have three V8 project cars sitting in my garage and I'm listening to the first podcast I have ever listened to. Mm Mm-hmm. You got that right. I'm listening to Talking Mopars. To be exact, I'm listening to your podcast with Johnny Mopar, the one with the ring and having fun with driving your car. Well, I have to say you guys opened my eyes because my three cars have been sitting for almost five years now and they didn't see the streets until now. I did some things now and then, but I was getting a bit lazy lately and now I know why, because the fun wasn't there anymore. I really appreciate what you're doing with your podcast and thank you very much guys for opening my eyes and getting me back to the fun. By the way, my three cars are a 1979 403 cubic inch 6.6 Pontiac Trans Am, a 1978 318 cubic inch, 5.2 Dodge Ram Charger, and a 1957 Plymouth Belvedere. How I got the two Mopars and why them, that's another story which I'm probably going to send you also. I hope this story is worthy to get on your podcast. Until then, continue your good work. I love to listen to more of your podcasts. Many thanks for giving me the fun back. Kind regards, Richard. Hey, Richard, thanks for sending in your story. That was quite a risk you took by taking that car out without a license, buddy. And I'm glad that you now have three project cars to call your own, to work on. And if Johnny Mopar and I had any any influence on you getting back to your cars and getting back to the fun again and enjoying working on your cars and enjoying your projects, that makes me feel good. I know Johnny's listening to this right now, and that makes him feel good that he influenced you as well. So, you know, that's why we do this kind of stuff. You know, that's why I do it. You know, I'm sure Johnny, you know, when he hears stories like that, he probably, you know, it makes him happy. I know it does. You know, to know that somebody listens to what you say and that influences you to make a decision that makes you happy, you know, that's a powerful thing. So thanks for the kind words, Richard. I'm happy that you enjoy the show continue listening, and I look forward to hearing your other stories. That was Listener Stories for this week. There's still more to come, so stay tuned for those. If you want to hear your story on the show, you can do so by emailing me or leaving me a voicemail that I will play on the show. My email is chris at talkingmopars.com, and the number to call for my voicemail is 209-28-MOPAR. I look forward to sharing your Mopar stories. There you have it, my friends. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For more information about this podcast or to listen and subscribe to the show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget that you can send me your Mopar stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your Mopar addicted mind 
to chris at talkingmoparts.com or leave me a voice message on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR to hear yourself on the show. Special thanks to my friends over at Hemipages.com. Hemipages is a directory source for the Gen 3 Hemi and Mopar aftermarket, including all of its related connections and content. They are also the brains behind the Build Mopar Community Project car, which is a 1968 Dodge Dart Superstock tribute car powered by a Gen 3 426 cubic inch supercharged Hemi called the Dart Pack. For more info on the Dart Pack and how you can participate in this project, and to check out the directory, visit hemipages.com. It's definitely a place that I frequently visit, and I have it bookmarked on my favorites list, and you should too. And last, but most certainly not least, thank you also to my buddies over at DIYHemi.com. They are another company run by Mopar enthusiasts that are also bookmarked on my favorites list. If you're like me, you love classic Mopars and modern Mopars too. Now you can have the best of both worlds by combining the styling of the past with the power and technology of the future by swapping in a modern Gen 3 Hemi into your classic Mopar. So if a modern Hemi swap is something on your to-do list for your project car, you gotta visit DIYHemi.com and find out how you can make that happen. DIY Hemi can help you build the ultimate fusion of classic and modern Mopar muscle without breaking the bank. One last thing before we go, if you'd like to help support Talking Mopars, there are a couple ways to do it. The first way is to jump on over to TalkingMopars.com and check out the Talking Mopars merch shop. There you're going to find all the Talking Mopars merch like t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, stickers, and more. And we've got more coming. So be ready for those. And the second way to support Talking Mopars is by becoming a subscriber. Now, I'm going to release a special announcement here very soon about how you can be a subscriber and what subscribers are going to get from the podcast and from the other content that I produce on social media. So stay tuned for that. It'll probably be a special announcement all by itself um, in podcast form and video form on my social medias. I'm excited about it. I can't wait to bring you guys even more Mopar content, and I hope you're ready to come along for the ride. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.